This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how you doing today? Hope you enjoyed episode number two, really enlightening. Drop and swap. That's something I had never heard about. So go check that out if you haven't. It's uh, it's eye-opening to think about the things that uh, might be coming or things that have been done historically. But here in episode number three, we're going to hit a smorgasbord of topics. First, why don't we hit the Fed? So the Fed came out, had some talks. I don't know, Jonathan, if you've had a chance to read what they had to say, but basically they're still not thinking about thinking about raising rates. Yeah, the Fed came out yesterday and said they're keeping rates at zero for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and when asked about inflation, uh, that said basically we don't think there's any inflation problem. Mm-hmm. We, we think that there have been uh, supply chain obstacles which are causing temporary price, you know, dislocations and temporary bouts of inflation, but as things open up, those will work themselves out. Um, and now I agree with them and I disagree with them on this. I do agree that what they measure as inflation, consumer price inflation, mm-hmm. is probably exactly as they say. I think there has been a lot of demand for certain items that's caused inflation. Uh, people have gotten stimulus checks. That means more money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there have been bottlenecks, right? The stuff is, the thing is like, you know, you only need one washing machine, right? Yeah. You go buy a new washing machine, you buy it and you're done. If you use your stimulus, it doesn't, you know, it may temporarily cause the price of washing machines to go up because more people want them. Yeah. But then what's going to happen is everybody will have bought them and then you'll have a, a, a washing machine recession. Like literally you'll have a recession yeah, there'll be a gap, for, yeah. mm-hmm. for, for the washing machine manufacturers because they'll have exhausted their entire market until people's washers start breaking down again, mm-hmm. right? So, you, so the prices will go down, right? And, and nobody will talk about it or notice it. Um, but uh, so there's that. And there, there are also supply chain problems because people have, you know, if you've tried to buy furniture for instance in the last year, right? Yeah the factories were shut down because of COVID, right? So it caused a lot of problems. Lumber, right? Same thing. Yeah. Sawmills shut down. Hey, Jonathan, your uh, microphone's hitting your shirt a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry That's okay. That. That's all right. So, um, yeah, so th- those things are all, as COVID winds down, mm-hmm. that those price. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I still think the Fed's looking at the wrong spot. So I get all of that. I, I econ guy, watch the numbers. I, I think this is what's going to surprise the Fed and they're not talking about it yet. That's labor. I see labor getting more expensive. I see labor inflation. Well, that now I want to talk about something else, but, the, okay, but let's sure. talk about this first. Yeah. But that, yeah. So listen, I think that could happen. Um, but as a real estate investor, that's not really a bad thing, right? Oh, I didn't say it was a bad thing. I'm no. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So I think like, and uh, there was a, a big special in the Economist like two weeks ago mm-hmm. about how the Economist um, is basically predicting that you know, look, over the last forty years, the 
the pendulum has swung towards management right? yes. and, and away from labor. And now they're saying it's swinging back. And mm -hmm. I agree. Th there's a lot of things, not just COVID. I mean, one of the things about this article is not just COVID. It's, it's just a lot of other things that were the pendulum is now swing, swinging back mm -hmm. towards in favor of the worker, which means the workers are going to get a bigger slice of the pie. Agreed. So, so yeah, so the people who own companies, shareholders might not like the fact they're going to have to pay more for labor, but for, you know, for everyone else, and especially for owners of real estate, like, boy, a little wage price inflation is good for you. I mean, <laughs> it's not a know, bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing at all. You, you know, that means you can raise rents. Yep. You know, it means your tenants can pay rents more easily. I mean, this is this is like a like a good thing for you. So, okay. um, and then especially if you're like a small yeah. landlord, you don't have to pay your own labor costs, right? It's it's it hits the multifamily sector a little more because you do because now suddenly, like your, you know, HVAC certified tech, you know, tech, head mm -hmm. tech can now demand higher wages from you. Mm -hmm. But frankly, in the grand scheme of things, you know, if you own a 200-unit property and you got to pay one guy five thousand right. dollars more a year, like it's it's noise, right? right. So, and if everybody and if all your tenants are paying more rent, like hey, you take that deal any day. <laughs> right? yeah. So, but it's even better for the small people who are not having to pay for for labor, right? So, sure. Um, so that's all good. Now, where I where I disagree with. The Fed is, I think that they're not measuring the right stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're, yeah. They're, they, the, the, the consumer price index does not take into account people's largest expenditures, which are housing, mm -hmm. health insurance, you know, things like this, where the prices are skyrocketing. Yeah. And uh, they also don't take into account investment assets, they, the Fed has sort of taken this position that, oh yeah, we know that if we reduce interest rates to zero, you're gonna have massive asset price inflation, mm -hmm. but it's not a problem. In fact, that's good because it creates the wealth effect, which means people are going to feel richer and go spend more money in our consumer economy. What they are not thinking about is how this affects you know, the rising cost of real estate affects people's ability to buy a house. It affects the, the rents that they have to pay. It's taking, you know, maybe there's a wealth effect. It creates winners and losers big time. If you already own the real estate, boy, are you happy that you're, that you it's worth more now. But if you don't own it, if you're trying to buy real estate, if you're trying to rent real estate, mm -hmm. now, you know, you have, you have a negative wealth effect, right? You've, yeah. got, you've got to pay more to someone like you or me in order to, um, you know, live somewhere, and yeah. so it, it it's sort of taking, it's taking essentially it's like robbing the poor to give to the rich, right? It's like mm. reverse Robin Hood, mm -hmm. and um, so, and frankly, I don't think you know, like I said, if you own it, it's great. But even as an investor, you know, now you've got to go and pay a five cap for something that you were always able to get for an eight cap. It yep. makes it harder for you to make a living as an investor yeah. when you have this kind of asset price inflation, right? So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, frankly, I think like, I'm getting off on a tangent, but I mean, <laughs> I think that, I think that the, the, the Fed, you know, and, and the federal government, because they, they're working, you know, the Fed has to, has to make sure the federal government doesn't go belly up. So it's keeping interest rates low 
you know, plus COVID is their justification, but, mm -hmm. you know, interest rates have been ratcheting down in a one-way direction for decades. And yeah. it's because it's related to the federal debt. Sure. And that has basically made it impossible for people to ever save enough money to retire. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't you have like, to invest now. You can't save your way to retirement. Yeah. Well, not only that, but even investing, right. Even investing, you can't go and like buy property at an eight cap right now. Yep. Let's just think about it. like, it used to be the case. If you had a million bucks, you could go buy a building at an eight cap and generate an $80,000 a year income. Right. Which is in a lot of parts of the country, mm -hmm. that's enough to live on. For sure. Right. Now that same million dollars only gets you a $50,000 income. Yeah. You have taken a $30,000 pay cut, right? Mm -hmm. On that million dollars of investable, uh, you know, yeah. investable asset. And, you know, it's, it's just, and so it's made it impossible for people to kind of like retire, frankly. Like, yeah. just, it's going to be very, very difficult for most people to ever generate enough retirement income to retire. So, um, it, it, Again, we talk about the, the way that government policy distorts the economy. This is one of the biggest, and it's and it's one of the most kind of pernicious because it doesn't seem like a bad thing. Yeah. Like low interest rates seem seem like a good thing. Everyone, you know, investors are always thrilled about low interest rates. But the problem is the market arbitrages that advantage away very quickly. Very quickly, right? yeah. So yeah. like it was great to invest in 2012 when cap rates were. 8% and interest rates had plummeted, right? But it was only a matter of time, but you had to get in then. Get in Eventually fast, the yeah. market adjusted to the new equilibrium mm -hmm. and it became, and it basically took that advantage away. And mm -hmm. now with, on, and on top of it, everybody is like, so people are now jumping into investment assets because they're worried about inflation. Right, that's right? where we're going next. That's right, we're, but, we're seeing a buying frenzy or an investment frenzy because people fear inflation. I just wanted to right. set up the next topic. So go ahead. Yeah, so, so people fear inflation, but I think like the conversation is a little bit skewed because when they talk about inflation, they're talking about consumer price inflation and the erosion of their, their dollar, but that's really not happening. The, what's happening is the inflation is in, in assets and it's really more about um, like fear of missing out or legitimate fear of missing out yeah. because you got to get in, because if asset prices are continuing to rise, then you've got to get in earlier rather than later. Yeah. But the problem is nobody knows when the music stops. Like if, if all of, if, if, you know, if people, me as a, as a multifamily investor, I wanted to invest for cash flow. Yep. Right. And cash flow is kind of like the, the discipline, like that's the metric that keeps you disciplined yep. for buying a deal. It has to produce X return, has to produce X cash coming off of it. And, and if it doesn't, I'm going to look for the next deal. The problem is the Fed has, has basically made that almost impossible because it doesn't, nothing generates enough cash flow anymore. You have to chase you know, the ever declining yield. And essentially what people are looking for now is it's, it's uh, asset inflation and that's how they're gonna get the return. Yeah. The problem with asset inflation is it only goes, as it goes on as long as it goes on. It's liable, yeah. to stop, it's liable to just end when something in the economy happens and, and people's risk appetite changes, Yep. right? So in, unless what, now they've taken the position that no matter, and I know people who think this, mm -hmm. that no matter what happens, the Fed will bail us out. Oh. So, so it'll, you know, if, if the economy 
at yeah. zero interest rate slows down, well, they'll go negative. And it's, oh. and so, and that, that may be true, right? But basically what's happened is the whole real estate investment market has essentially become a casino, right? Mm-hmm. You're just betting on, you're betting on the on appreciation. And that's why what you're seeing in multifamily is, and I've talked about this before, the value add property that's been sold as a value add now the second or third time in the cycle, mm-hmm. right? And somebody comes in, they, they buy it, they renovate 20% of the units, they put it on the market as a proven value add. Say I renovated 20% and proved that the rent bumps are there. Now you buy it, by the way, I'm gonna charge you, you're gonna pay me the post-renovation value and you still have to do the renovation, but <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, you'll make your money. And then that person goes in, they renovate 20% of the year, like the next 20%, they realize the returns aren't there on a cash flow basis. So they put it on the market, right? Same thing. We've renovated 20% of the units. Oh, by the way, you have to pay us, mm-hmm. you pay up for the privilege. Yeah. That can only go on so many times before, you know, the whole thing, the whole thing collapses. So, but, the, but that's what you're seeing. Like cash flow investors have become flippers essentially. And you're yeah. seeing, and, and, they're gener- and they're saying you know, to their investors, well, look at the IRR generated for you, <laughs> which is true. Like they're gener- yeah. they can, because they sell fast. That's if they can IRR. get out, if they can get out. Yeah. If you sell fast, of course you can generate a high IRR because an IRR is all about the time value of money, right? Exactly. It's not about how much cash you put in your pocket. It's not about the return you got. It's about how fast Speed. you get your money back, mm-hmm. right? So you can generate big IRRs by, by flipping fast. But for all those investors who are like, hey, I wanted to, have my money earning interest for me, yeah. you know, for, for 10 years, I wanted the cash flow. Well, great that you got my money back, but now what am I going to yeah, do? Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. You know? The music's going to stop. I've, I've been in this world before. It doesn't feel like it's going to stop, but it does. Last time it was houses. It's going to be value add multifamily. It's going but, to happen. But houses too. Did you see that uh, we're now at bubble level prices for single family houses? We are right. right but we're not at bubble uh, high for payments and people buy on payment. Right, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's this is a little bit off topic, but I wanted sure. to ask you this question because mm-hmm. um, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, you know the 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 last housing bubble. Yep. Um, you know, you had this phenomenon where, and I think the two, I think what's happening now is different from then, right? But you had this people were going crazy, speculating, flipping, mm-hmm. and you you heard these stories of people who were like, you know, because they had these no doc loans or whatever. Yeah. People owned, you know, they bought. Like you know, people who didn't have that much money, five, yeah. six, seven houses. Like nobody yeah. had any problem buying houses. It seemed like they were as as crazy as the market was. Like people could get their hands on on property. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now though, you know, it seems like the 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 demand is being driven by by other factors. One of which is the the need for more space. That's like a legitimate like owners want to buy. Yep. Right. So that's like legitimate demand. Mm-hmm. You've got, you know, obviously you still have, and you have the investors too, who are mm-hmm. out in more force than ever. So there's like really legitimate demand for this, Correct. but nobody can get their hands on property. Yeah. So what's, what's the difference? Like, why is it that, and I just don't know the answer to this. So I thought you'd be. You yeah. So we have a couple of, yeah. So f- we really do have a supply problem. So the first problem is for a year, the people that would have normally sold and upgraded, right? We may, we basically missed a year of trading up. Right. The people that bought 10 years ago, they've been in the 1200 or 1400 square foot house, had another kid, needs more space, wants, got promoted, wants to live on a golf course now, whatever. That whole year was missed. They painted their house. They changed the fence because they don't want anybody to come in and touch their stuff. Now we're right on the cusp of what I believe is going to be a doubling of inventory. 
because you have that whole year and they have appreciation. Now they're like, oh my God, people look at their houses like piggy banks and they're going to start to list. But I think the first step is going to be the contingency sale because right now they want to sell their little 1400 square foot house, but they can't buy anything. So I think what's going to happen is you're going to have a lot of contingency sales. Yes, I agree to sell mine, but I've got to buy one first. So that daisy chaining hasn't been very common for a couple of years, really, since the last environment. I think that's what we're about to see. Inventory is already coming up in my market. It's still nascent, but I see it because I look every day. Um, so I think we're, gonna, we're on the cusp of inventory showing up. But really, people are stuck in their homes. Even if they want to move, they can't because the upgrades not available. So that's, that's been a problem for a while though. I mean, even before COVID, like I think in a lot of, it's just of like, exacerbated. We're at a million, um, we're at a million available homes and we should be at 3.3. That's just yeah. remarkably low. And that's all homes. That includes all the $10 million homes and all that stuff. Right. If you go down, cause I segment my market now. So my, my market's median is like 360. So I try to look at 250 and below. We're talking three or four days of inventory. Wow. Right. I mean, that's just, Nuts. So that's what I think is going on. So let's do one more, one more topic here. We wanted to do the distortion, right? 1031 distortion. Yes. So educate us on why that's why 1031 distorts the market. Yeah. So, so every, like I mentioned in the last segment, you know, when your fish doesn't know it's swimming in water, right? right. When, when, when you exist in an environment uh, that has certain rules to it, you think that that's just the way it is. And, and you kind of, adjust your plans accordingly, you don't think about it very much. Um, but what I believe is that the ability to first, you know, take depreciation on a, an asset that is not actually depreciating, right? It's, it's appreciating and obviously you have maintenance and you've got to keep it mm -hmm. in shape, but it is growing in value over time. Uh, but you are, you are allowed to pretend that over the course of 27 and a half years, your property is, will be become Us. obsolete and worthless, <laughs> yeah. right? And you'll have nothing left of value but the dirt on which it stands, right? You were allowed to engage in that fiction. And that is sort of like the seed of all the problems, mm. right? Um, because, you know, the idea behind that is, well, we want to encourage people to invest in their properties and keep them up. You know, that's fine. But there are, I think, a better way to do that. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But so the, the depreciation problem, you know, not a problem, depreciation availability, mm -hmm. uh, you know, now if the government had said, yeah, we're just going to let you depreciate this and that's the end of the story, you wouldn't have a problem. But what they do instead is they say, okay, well, we've got to make this revenue up somehow. Mm -hmm. So we're going to charge you recapture tax at the end, right. right? Now, it's still a benefit because you're paying money A later and B at a lower rate, mm -hmm. right? So you still have a big tax advantage. The problem is it all comes at a big lump sum at the end, right? And that creates a cash flow problem. And especially if you have refinanced. Now, if you didn't refinance, uh, you were probably going to have enough cash to pay it. But, but frankly, who wants to pay all that tax, you know, You've just made this big sale. You're really happy. You're counting your, your profits. And then you realize like, oh my God, I have I to get a lot less than I thought. <laughs> all this tax. Yeah. So, uh, so the government has then said, well, look, we're going to solve this problem for you if you do something for us, which is 
you know, provide more housing. Yeah, go right? bigger. So go bigger. Now, that would make sense if you were to go and like build new property, but you're not. You can just go buy new property and start the whole game over again. Mm-hmm. And so what happens though is that, so people can't resist the temptation to refinance their deals and take cash out. And oftentimes that is their, their goal. Like in a rehab situation, you go and you refinance and you take, ca- take cash out at the higher value. Or you know, if you own commercial property and you have to refinance every 10 years, it's awfully difficult to say, you know what, I'm just gonna refinance the, the, the outstanding principal mm-hmm. and not take any cash out, even though my, my property is now worth twice what it was. The problem is when you refinance and you've got the recapture tax that you owe and you've got capital gains tax that you owe, you can very well wind up in a situation where you, uh, you can't afford to sell, right? Yeah. So, because the tax, the tax bill is too, is too great. So what happens then is that people wind up being desperate to buy new property and they overpay for the next property. And in general, you know, if they're looking at things at a, so, so there's those people who are literally overpaying for property and you have a situation like right now that is exacerbating the problem with asset prices because people are selling at all time highs mm-hmm. to capture their gains, mm-hmm. but then they have to buy a replacement property and, and they are, will overpay for replacement properties just to avoid the tax. Yeah. And it's causing a distortion in the market. It's causing the prices to be higher than they would be other than if, if you had no 1031, right? But also in general, since people are, you know, rational investors are thinking about what their after-tax take-home is, and that's how they're investing, not just for, you know, what the nominal gain is, but it doesn't matter what you make, it matters what you keep. Right? But mm-hmm. since people are thinking about what they're going to keep and what they're going to keep depends on various tax strategies, you know, the more tax advantaged it is, the more they will pay for the asset. Mm-hmm. Right? So that causes prices to go up higher than what they would be without the tax advantage. Right? So there is a distorting effect of depreciation and 1031 mm. on real estate. Now, what I would say would be a better, and not only that, but it's complicated, right? It's complicated, and I didn't even know this, but you know, 1031 opens the doors to fraud, which I've never even heard of before. But I just, you know, I've heard of investors who, there was a, a big Ponzi scheme several years ago where a 1031 qualified intermediary was pocketing the money. Oh, my God. Right? So, um, and the guy I think has gone to prison since then. I hope but, so. Yeah. Um, but who? I mean, who? Who even knew that that was a risk? But apparently, that is a risk. Um, mm-hmm. So, but it, you know, this overly complicated scheme, where you, you know, you, know, you have to go through a qualified intermediary, so you never take possession of the cash, which is why then you don't need to be taxed. I mean, the government could just do away with all that stuff and make it simpler, but it doesn't, right? right. So, uh, but that aside. Um, a better way, in my view, to, if you wanted to encourage people to invest in their property, would be to just let them expense it when they yeah. do the, you know. So rather than having, you know, items where you know this is maintenance and this is capex mm-hmm. and this one you can deduct right now and this one you have to capitalize and deduct over time and all this kind of stuff. If the if the real intention <coughs> is to encourage people to 
spend money on their property, mm-hmm. right? Then just let them st- deduct. Yeah, in, in the accounting world, we call that cash accounting, right? right? Cash goes in, cash goes out. You just deduct it 100% once the cash leaves. So that's it's cleaner. Yeah. And so that would, if people could have years where they have a tax loss because they spent money on their property and they, mm-hmm. they didn't have to spend, you know, it's not after tax, it's pre-tax for them. Yeah, true. That would, that would achieve the same thing. And then you can just do away with all the rest of it, right? Yeah. So don't have any of this, you know, depreciation and then recapture and then 1031. Oh my God, the tax code could get simpler. Are you, you're, 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 yeah. you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and I think honestly, like when all of these things were invented, right? Yeah. The depreciation allowances and 1031. I mean, we literally, the country was like, you know, I think some very small proportion of people actually own their homes. Like now we think this is normal, like 65% home ownership. Yeah. That's because the government has pushed home ownership for, for sure. decades. You know, it used to be 30 year loans weren't a thing back then. They were five years or something. Yeah. And in many countries, like people are shocked that you can have a 30 year mortgage. Like in lots lots of countries, you can't get a 30 year mortgage. You can't get any more. Certainly fixed. No, you can't be fixed for 30 years. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, or in other countries, you get saddled with like these night, like Switzerland, the 99 year mortgages, right? You have to pay the mortgage forever. So the 30 year mortgage is, you couldn't get it before Fannie and Freddie. It didn't exist. Banks did not did not give 30 year mortgages, right? So again, it's like everything else. You know, well, first of all, the thing is most people used to be renters, right? Most, pe- most Americans were renters hundred years ago, mm-hmm. right? So when, when a lot of these accounting rules were passed, it was like for a very small number of people mm. who, you know, and, and they're kind of like, and there was a lot of problems with like slum properties and all sorts of stuff that was trying to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, now those problems don't exist anymore. But you've still got the tax code. It's sort of the you know it's the law of unintended consequences, sort of where we sure. wound up with this, right? So, you know, there's that too. I mean, the thirty-year mortgage has distorted the market, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you pay more for a house now because you can get a thirty-year mortgage. I have no question. Well, just and wait. Think- I think I think one of the things that comes out of this is a forty-year mortgage. I think I think what we're going to see by next year is quotes on forty-year mortgages. You may well do it. I mean, look, HUD, HUD financing is becoming a big thing in multifamily right now because HUD does 40-year loans at 40-year amortization. Oh, wow. Right? I did not so know. So it's great if you can get one, but of course, when that becomes the norm, it's just going to kick the price up higher because everybody will just calculate. Based you know, on that? Based on that. And, and you'll <laughs> be able to, and at first, you know, at first it'll be the people who ha- who can get those loans will have a bidding advantage and they can bid, bid just a little more, but they'll make mm-hmm. a lot more money. But right. Every, like everything, it gets arbitraged out, yep. right? So eventually that will become the norm and you'll just be paying more for your multifamily wow. property because you're competing with the people who can get HUD yep. financing. And so, you know, and then Fannie and Freddie will have, you know, some, it's all going to change. Like Fannie and Freddie will have to compete and then yep. they'll go to 40 year amortization. Yeah. And, you know, Oh man, this is going to be fun. Well, I, you know, real estate investing is never boring. I think the next, uh, I don't know, several, several months, two, three, four months where all these negotiations are going on are going to be fun. So Jonathan, I appreciate your time this Thursday. You have a wonderful day. You too, Michael. Take care. Thanks, Mike.